The game is over. Your Bucks postgame show starts now. Welcome to Bucks Talk. Insight, analysis, and your chance to sound off on the game you just heard. Now to break it all down, here's your host, Justin Garcia. For the first three quarters of this game, um, there is no way to really quantify this, and I'd be I'd be curious to to see what it is that we hear come out of the locker room after this one. But it, it did certainly seem as though, and Doc Rivers backed this up and said he he thought this was the case as well. It did seem as though the Bucks just ran out of gas in this one. Night two of a back to back. It's not just the back to back, and it's not just arriving in Utah at just after two a.m. this morning. Change in altitude as well. There's a number of things that you could point to, but if we go back, um, you know, this Bucks team, you played a back-to-back Friday, Saturday. You had Sunday off, per se, but that was spent traveling to Denver, where you played the Nuggets. Then you played Denver. You left that night to arrive in Portland in what was a very, very emotional day for Damian Lillard. And you had a disappointing outing against the Portland Trailblazers. You did have two days off, but it's on the road. And we do know the Bucs had a practice of sorts. Uh, Practices on the road versus practices at home at the facilities you have here are very, very different. Then after that, you had a back-to-back after those two days off. And now you'll depart Utah tonight, head to Phoenix, get set to take on the Suns on Tuesday And once that game's done, you're not out of the woods yet. Again, we mentioned you had a back-to-back last weekend. You had a back-to-back that you just wrapped up this weekend. You have a back-to-back coming up at the end of this upcoming week. And then you have a back-to-back to to begin your final week before the All-Star break. So there are a lot of games crammed into this schedule for the Bucs. They have reached one of their more difficult stretches in this schedule. It's a very disappointing loss, especially when you factor in how good this team looked through the first three quarters. And I think what compounds it is what we mentioned on the network postgame show, that there are a lot of teams that are starting to piece it together and coming for you in the Eastern Conference. When you look directly in your rearview mirror, depending on how you view the standings here, the Cleveland Cavaliers have caught the Bucs. They have fewer losses than the Bucs do. Cavs aren't going to go away, and they're doing this. They just got Evan Mobley back. They've been doing this shorthanded. The New York Knicks have been one of the best teams in the league since they acquired OG Ananobi. The New York Knicks are hot on your tail as well. The Philadelphia 76ers may well take a step backward now with the news that came earlier today surrounding Joel Embiid. We can get to that in just a bit. But you have two very, very challenging teams directly behind you that show no signs of slowing down. So you don't really have a whole lot of margin for error and a lot of time to figure this out. That's the challenging part that Doc Rivers alluded to when he took this job of, you know, we're in a good spot now. Everybody will point to the record and say, hey, they won 32 games. They were 32-14 and 14. Um, prior to Doc taking over, 32 and 14, they were what, 31 and 13, I believe, when they made the coaching change. Still pretty good, right? 
but you can't afford to take a step backward because there are, there are some scenarios in play that I think you desperately want to avoid, and we can get to that as well when we bring up that Joel Embiid news. 855-616-1620 is the number to join us tonight on Bucks Talk, and, and this is one of those frustrating nights where I do think you saw a lot of good once again tonight, and I think these last two days you feel pretty good about the eye test and what you're seeing from this team It did seem like the fourth quarter was just running out of gas. There were some turnovers. There were some things that Doc said I'd like to see cleaned up. But it did seem as though these shots, they were missing short. The Jazz were winning in those hustle categories, the offensive rebounds, getting out in transition, scoring there, second chance points, points in the paint. Overall, I still feel very good about what we're seeing, and I think there are clear signs the defense is getting there. But... You don't have a very long leash to start to drop some games here when you look at what's surrounding you in the East. 855-616-1620, the number to join us tonight on Bucks Talk. Let's uh, head to the phone lines and start things in North Carolina with Justin. What's going on tonight, Justin? Hey, Justin. How you doing, buddy? Uh, very, very, very tough, frustrating loss tonight. Uh, first of all, before I get to my points about those three god-awful, terrible referees. I want to make a point on the game. You cannot have your Robin or your Batman, whatever one you want to call him, going five for 18 today. You just you just can't have it, man. I, I don't know what it was. A lot of his shots looked like they were off from the beginning, which is tough for us, right? And even out of his hand, they just didn't look good tonight in Utah. A lot of Jay Crowder shots at first looked that way as well. Um Malik Beasley, but then he somehow pieced it together. So I know that uh, Novak mentioned on the TV broadcast, I can't get you guys pregame radio no more out here. They, they kind of, I guess, got onto us and blocked it. That's okay. But he mentioned that with the air being thinner, similar to Denver, there's a big shooting adjustment. I think we saw that in the beginning. And maybe Dane just didn't adjust, man. Um, Refereeing-wise, man, first of all, that crap, that Colin Sexton pulled, and Doc even alluded to in the press conference, for it to be a uh, offsetting technical or whatever it's called, that is just hogwash. Hogwash. Trying so hard not to cuss Justin, so that's why I say hogwash. Um, the other thing, just Giannis getting beat up every possession. Now, like us, I think he hit more people than the Packers' defense hitting the entire playoffs. Got hit more than the Packers. Uh, hit, well, you, get, you get the point. He's getting knocked over. And then you breathe on these clowns, and it's a foul. I, I just don't like it, Justin. I, I, I do not like Giannis's whistle, and, and I think it's god-awful. But, like, and then they're, they're like, all the co- credit to their coach. Oh, he's a great – no, he's not. They're an under-500 team, and they're there for a reason. Granted, we're off a of back-to-back without Middleton. Um, Dame got roughed up a little bit. I get all that. But we're supposed to be better than this team. And uh, while it's responding, I want to touch base on your, the, the guys barking up our tree, too, man, because we're, we're, we're tough on that, too. Well, um, it was certainly a, an interestingly officiated game. And Doc said after the game he thought it was a pretty good officiated game, pretty well officiated. I don't know if that's Doc just – maybe passive-aggressively getting something out there. Because as you mentioned, he he brought up a couple of things on that Sexton sequence where, number one, thought he stepped out of bounds and, and said 
none of it would have happened if you would have called that he was out of bounds and the officials told us, oh, yeah, you're right, he, he did step out of bounds there. Uh, but the other point he was making, too, was, you know, I get what you're doing and, and said Beasley was smart about what he did. That's what I like, that he didn't get the flagrant and he didn't make it obvious. But to Doc's point, you know, I saw Giannis, and granted it was his second technical foul, but we've seen Giannis ejected from a game for staring somebody down. How was that not immediately a technical foul? And if you whistle that, not only did the Bucks get the free throw, but if you whistle that, the Beasley play doesn't happen and things don't start to escalate. Um, but to his point, too, of, you know, what's the call on Beasley? I mean, yes, it's pretty clear to all of us what Beasley was doing, but Beasley made no malicious act there. He was running to the sideline and just so happened to run into Colin Sexton. Who flopped. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. I I thought, I to your off. point real quick, I thought I've seen worse in terms of the whistle for Giannis. I think by and large, they let a lot of physicality go on both sides, and you can make a case that the, the Bucks were at a bigger disadvantage than the Jazz, but I did see it on both sides for these teams. But they let a lot of stuff go tonight. I agree. Some of the other stuff that I just think about is the offensive foul that A.J. Green took on um, Olenek, and then right after that, Crowder's given a flagrant one, which was a flagrant one, but if you call the offensive foul, there is no flagrant one there, right? So kind of that same thing, man. And it's just that type of stuff frustrates me. As far as these, as far as these teams nipping at our heels, though, brother, they're good basketball teams. Yeah, They're very good basketball teams. But we're a very good basketball team as well. So – we got to get to this point where we can get Dame feeling like it's Dame again. And I get it. He said it this week. He had a lot of personal things he was going through. Totally understand it. Um, you know, definitely would not want to bark and tell a player how they should feel and stuff like that because you and I both know, and no matter what the job is that you select, there are people who get, who get mentally frazzled from the things that Dame is going through and yep. lose their jobs for a lot less. So I just want to commend him. And uh, I really hope, and I, and I know that we are ha- right now, we're on a learning curve right now. And I just hope and hope that we get to the end of the year and all this stuff has kind of washed itself out. Um, the effort seems to be there, though. Yeah. And the, the last thing I'll leave you with, I love Ajax coming in the game at the end. He came in. He knew they were letting people play and being physical. So he's like, you know what? At the end of the game, you're not dribbling the ball. I'm going to take it for you. And I'm going to go in and I'm going to try to dunk and I'm going to foul you. And I don't care. We need some like we always talk about before how we need like an enforcer, a tough guy. I think it's really Ajax. But the thing I like about Ajax is he's not one of these guys who's pounding themselves, trying to fight everybody, flopping around or a fake tough guy like Colin Sexton, for example. He's just plays it within the rules of the basketball game and within the game. So I love it, man. I hope we can call you Tuesday night, man. That's a late one for me, but I do my best to try to stay up for you, my brother, and see if we can, uh, you know. Put the, let the sun set on Tuesday, man, because Beal had a great game, so I'm worried about them too, but we'll get to it, man. And, yeah, enjoy the show, Justin. All right, thanks for the call, Justin. Um, they are good teams that are behind the Bucks. The Cavs are a good team. The Knicks are a good team. And OG Ananobi has really changed things for that group. Uh, Jalen Brunson, with his Joel Embiid news, you wonder, we're going to point to Giannis, and rightfully so, but you do wonder, is Jalen Brunson the guy that's going to start to jump up there in the MVP discussion now. But I pointed out of, of teams that are, are nipping at your heels because, again, the Bucks have the second most challenging schedule left in the league. 
the Cavs have the 10th easiest, and the Knicks are in the middle of the pack. So it is a very, very big difference in terms of what the three teams have left on their schedule. And, you know, the other part is this. For the Cavaliers and um, and for the Knicks as well, both of those teams have a combined six games left against the Sixers, three for each of them. Who knows how many of those games Joel Embiid is going to play in. So right now on paper, those are in the challenging stretch of games that you have left. But look, if there's no Joel Embiid, that changes things dramatically, and maybe they are not. So that is something to keep an eye on as well. 855-616-1620, the number to join us tonight on Bucks Talk. We'll take a look at some of the numbers. Again, it's a small sample size, but what we've seen changing for the Bucks since the coaching change. We'll get into that after this. Welcome back to Bucks Talk. All right, I'm not the blame the officials guy, as I think we've established, but Justin brought up his gripes with the officiating. One one play that did stand out to me, and uh, this is the second or third time we've seen this this season, second time recently. I am still trying to wrap my head around how it is not a shooting foul, but the lob to Giannis, I believe Bobby Portis threw it, where Giannis was shoved by Kelly Olynyk. Um, how that's not a shooting foul number one is beyond me. And that did come at a stretch in the game where the Jazz started to storm back. Once it got to six, you started to feel a little uneasy. Then it was a one-possession game. Then it was tied. Then they hit a three. That gave them the one-point lead, and that's when you, you thought, oh, boy. But, look, how you can go for a lob and get shoved and it's a foul but it's on the floor is beyond me. I also, and this isn't just Giannis related, though it seems to impact him just as much, if not more, than any player in the league. Putting your hands on a player who is airborne. Everybody's going to point to the Chris Paul play when Giannis dunked on him on that Drew Holiday lob in the finals, but we've seen it with Giannis a lot. Putting your hands on an airborne player who is defenseless, that's a flagrant foul. It's not just a shooting foul. That is a flagrant foul. And this isn't me crying over... Oh, if they would have called that, the game is different. Because the likelihood is it's probably not. The Jazz are still going to win that game, given the way the Bucks looked. And again, fatigue certainly a factor. But I think we've done a pretty good job of cleaning some of the offensive grift up. Especially two years ago, there was, what, a 30-game stretch where some of those plays, interesting plays that we saw – Players grifted into fouls. You think about the the usual names. I won't single anybody out. But those were cleaned up for about the first 30 or so games of the season. Then it slowly drifted back. But I think, by and large, we've seen a much better job with those whistles. Those types of plays, though, when you have a player that leaves his feet and has hands put on him, it is a dangerous act. It doesn't matter how innocuous, how how insignificant the contact appears to be. It's a dangerous play, and it needs to be removed from the game. 855-616-1620, the number to join us tonight on Bucks Talk. I, I prefaced with this, that it's just seven games, and it's it's not what you want to base an opinion off of, of a sample size that small. But a few things have stood out from what we've seen in this change. Um. With Joe Prunty for three games and now Doc Rivers at the helm for this road trip 
One area specifically that we have been clamoring for, we've started to see some differences there. So we'll run through some of those numbers and take a look at this Phoenix Suns team, who the Bucks will contend with on Tuesday night. All of that and more after this on Bucks Talk. The Round Ball Repartee returns. This is Bucks Talk. Tough loss for the Bucks tonight as fourth quarter is where things slip away. A 40-point fourth quarter for the Jazz. This was uh, almost the inverse of what you saw in Dallas where the first quarter, 44-20, to 20, you're outscored by 24 points, but you start to piece together a nice win. By and large, you played pretty good for the final three quarters. You gave up 73 total points. And we saw a lot of those same traits throughout the first three quarters of this game. Bucks looked really good in the second and third quarters. But the fourth quarter, a 40-13 to 13 difference. So minus 24 in the first against the Mavs. Minus 27 against the Jazz in this one. And I mentioned on last night's show, that discrepancy of 24 points was only the 18th time in NBA history that a team won a game where they were outscored by 24 or more points in a quarter. If you could have somehow held on, now the difference wouldn't have been 27, but it would have been close. It would have been another, what, 20-ish difference in that quarter. But I think you noticed a couple of things. Give credit to the Jazz, and that was Doc Rivers' point after the game. I don't agree with Justin's assessment that Will Hardy is not a good coach. I think he's a very good coach. And yes, the Jazz are under 500, but you know, we go back to the start of last season. We thought the Jazz were going to be basically the Spurs or maybe not quite to the depths of what the Pistons are doing, but the Hornets, the Wizards, what we're seeing this year. That's what all of us thought the Jazz would be a season ago. And that was a team that Proved everybody wrong. Not only were they not one of the worst teams in the league, they narrowly missed out on making the play-in tournament. And for a while, the Jazz were in the top six in the Western Conference. It's a pretty similar story this year, too, where you know their objective is to play for the future. But it's a Jazz team that, with this win, they're now 10th in the West and would be in that play-in tournament. They're 25-26. and 26. I think they're still exceeding expectations, and I think a big part of that is Will Hardy, and especially when you look at the development you're seeing from some of those young guys. Keontae George, you think about what he did tonight. He had a big game against the Bucks in Milwaukee as well, and the way that Laurie Markkinen has developed. So there's a lot of nice pieces, and I think a big part of their success is Will Hardy in what he's brought to the team. And anybody around the Celtics would tell you as well, that was a huge blow. When you went through the coaching change to go from Ime Udoka to Joe Mazzula, it wasn't just that. It was the fact that Will Hardy was one of the more respected assistants on that bench. You lost him as well. So that was a big, big um, adjustment for the Boston Celtics. But, look, give credit to the Jazz. They figured out how can we attack the Bucks, And the way that they could attack them was with their size. And we mentioned some of the things that the Bucks did differently defensively last night against the Mavericks, you were able to do that against Dallas because they play smaller, and it made sense for the Bucs to do some of those things that they did to blitz Luka Doncic, 
Nine turnovers for Luka. Get the ball out of his hands. Confuse him with some of those reads. Bring the help from different spots. It caused turnovers. It caused confusion. It caused Luka Doncic to pick up his dribble and try to anticipate or examine where is the help coming from and slow him down. You were able to do all this because you could switch a lot more playing against a smaller team where it was Maxi Kleba that you had to worry about. You couldn't do that against the Jazz. And the absence of Brooke Lopez really started to stand out more and more as this game advanced. We don't know what Brooke Lopez's status will be for Tuesday in Phoenix against the Suns, but it, it does seem like if there was any game on this trip where you would say, man, we really need Brooke, the obvious would be Monday uh, against the Denver Nuggets, having to go against Nikola Jokic. But outside of that, tonight, that's what you would point to because the Jazz are a sneaky big team. You bring a seven-footer, a true seven-footer, and Walker Kessler off the bench. Kelly Olynyk, and think about that closing unit. I mentioned this on the network portion. Uh, the Jazz only played five players in the fourth quarter. They played a front line of uh, Larry Markinen, Kelly Olynyk, and Walker Kessler. Those three guys playing together. Larry Markinen uh, gives you some size as well. They're a very sneaky, big team, are the Utah Jazz. And the absence of Brooke Lopez, I thought, really stood out here when you looked at just how much they missed him. Larry Markinen is also a seven-footer. So you had to deal with his size. You had to deal uh, with Kelly Olynyk's size, Walker Kessler and the size that he brings as well. You had Keontae George hitting shots. And uh, Jordan Clarkson, another big game. You miss the size of Brooke Lopez because Will Hardy was able to say, okay, how do we pull Giannis away from the basket? He's the only rim protector they have outside of those four minutes that Robin Lopez was on the floor. And how do we just attack the paint here? If there's no rim protection, if we can pull Giannis away from being that guy, we can take advantage there. And I think the big areas you would circle, not only the field goal percentage and how that dropped as the game progressed here and, and the shots for the Bucks, the misses were short, which is the number one telltale sign of fatigue. But points in the paint to me. It was 22 to 20 at the half. The Jazz were up. It, they finished the game with 50 points in the paint, which we've certainly seen the Bucks give up more. But it was the difference specifically in the second half. 28 to 10, that margin in the second half. The Jazz found something. They were exploiting it. And the Bucks could not get into the paint because that defense we talked about, and Doc Rivers alluded to this as well, the defense we talked about the Bucks playing on Luka last night, the Jazz basically said we're going to do that to Giannis because it's a night where the Bucks starting to miss shots. It's night two of a back-to-back. They've gone cold. Uh, you take A.J. Green and Malik Beasley out of the mix, and what they did, that duo went a combined 7-12. You know, that's 8 of 19, 8 of 29, I beg your pardon on three-point shooting without that duo. The very, very cold night from everybody for the Bucks outside of those two guys and Bobby Portis, we should mention as well. So take those three out of the mix, and it's four of 22. And that includes Damian Lillard. It includes Jay Crowder. It includes uh, Pat Connaughton and, and, and campaign. So guys that you would anticipate to hit some shots, they did not. And that took away the paint production for the Bucks because the Jazz were able to say, okay, We'll just get the ball out of Giannis's hands. We're not going to let him set up there. We'll make him kick it out and make the right read, and, and we'll take our chances that that shot isn't going to go in. 
And that's what we saw in the fourth quarter where they put up just 13 points and, again, four field goals and four turnovers in that fourth quarter. 855-616-1620, the number to join us tonight. I will get to, speaking of numbers, the number that stands out the most. Again, it's just seven games, but what the number tells you is you like where things are headed. We'll give you that number next on Bucks Talk. This is Bucks Talk. Bucks fall in Utah to the Jazz, 123-108. to A game that the Bucks led 95-83 to going into the fourth quarter, so especially difficult to stomach this one. Uh, given that and given the chance of a 1-4 road trip, I think we all approach this trip looking at those five games, feeling pretty good that, okay, you feel like you can get Portland. Can you get two of the other four games? Can you split between the Nuggets, the Mavericks, this game, and the final game in Phoenix against the Suns? Can, can you split that? I mean, it's going to be challenging, but you feel pretty good about that. Three and two was the hope, and Chris Middleton confirmed that last night. Two and three was the all right. If we go two and three, fine. It's essentially 500. It was a losing trip, but it's, it's better than a total disaster. Now you're facing that potential with a total... Total disaster is a bit harsh, but a bad road trip to go one and four. Zero oh and five would be a total disaster. Um, a couple of texts trickling in here. Doc has to clean up the terrible Bucks second halves. Nobody was having that argument last night. There was nothing terrible about the second half last night, and you know it wasn't a terrible half. It was a quarter, and it was again explainable. Whereas night two of a back to back. You start missing short on shots. I think it was pretty clear, and Doc mentioned this as well. The altitude change, getting into the Utah 2 in the morning, night 2 of a back-to-back, all of that added to it. There were some things they could have done better, sure, but this was not a terrible second half, and it certainly wasn't a terrible second half last night. Um, you know, We couldn't have scripted better shots, but everything was missing short. We probably could have and should have went to the post more, but they would have just doubled and forced Giannis to throw it out to the other shooters. Those are the two things Doc Rivers said after the game that I think stood out the most. Um, one thing that Doc Rivers, and you know what, that's not even fair. One thing that we have seen change, not entirely Doc Rivers, but you have seen some with Doc Rivers, and he mentioned this as well, that um, they're playing hard defensively. And he said, visually, you can see that. It comes across, we're playing hard defensively. Um, but you can also see they got fatigued tonight, and we're getting fatigued overall. It takes a lot out of us playing the way that I want to play, the intensity that he wants that group to bring defensively. And, and it might mean adding more guys to the rotation in the regular season because of that. But as he's mentioned a couple of times, when you get to the playoffs, we're all aware of this, but Doc Rivers – Pointed out specifically, the rotation's going to shorten a lot more in the postseason. we got to get guys ready for those heavy minutes and the intensity that we want them to bring in those heavy minutes. The defense does look better, and there was some low-hanging fruit to grab. I think we've seen this team grab that. You think about the transition defense, that was another area that slipped away a bit in the second half. The Jazz had zero points off of turnovers in the first half. They got 15 in the second half. So we've seen the Bucs do a much better job of defending in those spots in transition. They've done better on the glass. 
Still have some room for improvement there. But the numbers back it up. And again, it's just seven games. But the numbers back it up that this team is playing much better defensively since the change was made. So this includes three games with Joe Prunty and the four games that we've seen thus far with Doc Rivers. The Bucs have the 10th rated defense in the league in those games played. Now they're only three and four, but they have a 113.9 defensive rating in those games. And there aren't really any outliers that are standing out when you look at those teams at the top. The Timberwolves are the best. The Knicks are the second best. The Thunder are the third best. The Magic are fourth. The Cavs are fifth. All of these are what we've come to expect. The Celtics are in the top 10, and so are the Bucks. So it is working in a smaller sample. You just need that to continue to get better and better. We'll preview what's up next for the Bucks as they head to Phoenix to take on the Suns and wrap up the show after this on Bucks Talk. Welcome back to Bucks Talk. So in seven games, we've seen the Bucks play with a top 10 defense. The offense is still figuring things out. We've seen good stretches. But the big thing for this team is to find consistency. And why it's important is, as we touched on with Justin at the start of the show, you have the second most difficult schedule remaining in the league. Bucks number two, the Phoenix Suns are number one. Um, very, very challenging. But what compounds it is the New York Knicks have the 16th easiest schedule left. The Cleveland Cavaliers have the 10th easiest schedule left. Those two teams are not very far behind you. And again, once you get past the All-Star break especially, it's more important to look at losses because you can make up wins. You can't shave losses. Those are already set there. You can't shake those. The Cavs have fewer losses than you do. So they have essentially caught you, and they have a much easier schedule than you do have left. And I mentioned the other thing to keep in mind, the Cavs and Knicks each have three games left against the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, the news, at least according to Adrian Wojnarowski, so not confirmed by the team, not official, but the news from Woj is that Joel Embiid will have a procedure to, I don't know why we're being so obtuse with this whole thing of what it is and what the timeline is, but nonetheless, I think it's pretty clear. It is a tear in his meniscus. He is going to have surgery on it, and he's going to miss some extended time. How long? TBD. But... I mean, we did hear the report from Ramona Shelburne earlier this season, a couple of weeks ago. This was like a four- to six-week injury that he was working through. So if that's the case and he's having surgery, I would imagine it's about a six-week recovery. And if that is the timeline, that's going to put him back until right around the time the playoffs will begin, just as you're getting set for the postseason. And I mentioned doomsday's a bit strong, but a doomsday scenario of sorts on the show the other night is, look, you don't have a whole lot of time. Fix might be strong, but to get things going here because of what the Cavs are doing, because of what the Knicks are doing, and there is a scenario where those two teams move past you and you finish fourth, and the Sixers with this absence of Embiid, they finish fifth, and they get Joel Embiid back just in time for the playoffs, so your path to a championship would be Joel Embiid and the Sixers in the first round, you get through that, great. You have the Celtics in the second round. You get through that, great. You have who is other coming out on the other side of it. 
You get through that, great. You go through the West. So that is a very, very challenging path and a very strong possibility with this schedule in front of the Bucks Tuesday night in Phoenix, another late one, 9 o'clock tip. 8.30 is when our pregame coverage begins. And as always, be sure to stick around after the game for Bucks Talk. We will talk to you then.